You're listening to a podcast series produced for the Global Initiative for Chronic Obstructive Lung Disease. GOLD works with healthcare professionals and public officials around the world to raise awareness and to improve the prevention and treatment of COPD. Welcome and thank you for joining us on the inaugural Global Initiative for Chronic Obstructive Lung Disease GOLD podcast. Uh, my name is Mike Hess. I am a respiratory therapist and chronic lung disease coordinator at WMED Health in Kalamazoo, Michigan. Uh, today, we're going to be talking about the burden of COPD exacerbations and the importance of prevention. Uh, we're joined by Dr. Antonio Anzueto, a professor in the Division of Pulmonary Diseases at the Long School of Medicine in San Antonio, Texas, as well as a member of the Scientific Committee of the Global Initiative for Chronic Obstructive Lung Disease. Dr. Anzueto, thank you for joining us today. Thank you, Mr. Getz. Thank you for the invitation opportunity to be here with you all. All right, so let's just jump right into it here. Uh, how would you define our topic of the day? How would you define a COPD exacerbation? Well, Mike, uh, COPD exacerbation is, if you are 20 people, they will have 20 different uh, definitions. So I think it's important to put into context the definition that Gold and other scientific organizations had, had proposed is basically a change in patients' baseline symptoms that is associated with the need to have healthcare utilization. Therefore, you can have a change in your symptom and you decide to stay home. That's probably, some people are calling mild. But if you came to see a healthcare provider and he or she prescribed an antibiotics or steroids, that's what we call moderate exacerbation. And you have to go into the hospital or the emergency room, we call it severe. So this definition is very important because we're gonna talk about, about prevention. Prevention of events that the ones I described that we call moderate, the ones that require to have a healthcare utilization. And, and pharmacotherapy today can prevent those events. Therefore, definition is crucial to what we're talking about. That's a great point. Um, how, would you, how would you address the issue? You know, we have a lot of people who have a great deal of baseline symptom variation from day to day with COPD. Uh, who may even have uh, something like a rapid response pack at home. Maybe they have a, a bit of antibiotic at home or they have a bit of a corticosteroid. Uh, would you define, uh, what would you say the impact of a mild exacerbation is um, on someone's home life? So uh, this so-called mild exacerbation, uh, certainly uh, individuals experience uh, a change in their, in their symptoms. So they do something. And when they have done, like, for example, lung function after those events, lung function are decreased. But I think there is another very important point that, Mike, you are addressing. Have the patient had a kit of treatment in case there is a worsening of his symptoms? We have now uh, a, uh, a VA cooperative study and another study that tried to address that self-management and was as associated with worsening outcome. So what I encourage my patients is, uh, please call me, come to my office. We need to see what you need, and we need to decide what needs to be uh, done. Because for you to take a course of antibiotics or take a course of steroids may delay something that may be much worse uh, later on. Wow, that's interesting. Uh, much of the data I had seen was talking about how we want to nip these things in the bud as soon as possible. So that's fascinating new evidence coming out there. So then that kind of leads us into the next question of why are these why are these events so seriously? What is the impact of a COPD exacerbation um, 
on the natural course of the natural history of the disease? And is it different for these mild to moderate to severe exacerbations? So, Mike, um, one of the important issues with exacerbations is 10, 15 years ago, we will talk about exacerbations. We will talk about should I give antibiotics, should I give steroids, for how long, how much. But the truth is we miss the boat. You know, exacerbations impact the natural history of the disease. Exacerbations are the factors that accelerate lung function decline, worsen its patient quality of life are associated with morbidity and mortality. And I want to take you back 20 years ago when the first gold document was published. Uh, one of the items of the goal of the management of COPD was stated exacerbation prevention. And a lot of people rolled their eyes and I said, these guys are nuts. How can you prevent these events that are either infectious or are produced by environmental conditions? How can pharmacotherapy uh, do that? Now we know that it's possible to prevent to the point, and if your patient is having exacerbations, uh, these individuals have something that has failed in our healthcare system. Probably we're not giving the right medications to prevent those events, and any interventions from vaccination to uh, pulmonary rehabilitation, as well as pharmacotherapy, they all can prevent exacerbations. So these are preventable events, and it's crucial to prevent those because from the mild to the very severe, they do impact the natural history of the disease and accelerates the decline in lung function and worsening patients' quality of life. Hmm. So I, I heard you mention pulmonary rehab. Um, do you do you see one either pharmacotherapy or non-pharmacological therapies uh, being more important? One being more important than another, and as far as exacerbation prevention goes. You know the treatment of COPD in 2020 is long-acting bronchodilators, either fixed combinations of individual components as well as having inhaled corticosteroids in those individuals who have had a prior events. These interventions do significantly decrease the rate of exacerbations. You know, Mike, we're talking about two, three exacerbations per year. That was what the patient was having 10, 15 years ago. Today, with these pharmacotherapies, we're talking about less than one exacerbation a year. We're talking about significant decrease in hospitalizations due to uh, ex uh, worsening or exacerbations of the underlying uh, COPD. So these medications do significant impact, uh, not only the mild and moderate events, but also the severe events. So that reminds me of a question I had. I was doing a presentation for one of our state respiratory, actually it was the Texas State Respiratory Society a couple of weeks ago, um, about the importance of managing COPD in primary care in particular. And I got a question um, that asked me how I felt about the idea that we can prevent every exacerbation. Clearly with some of the information you presented already, we can prevent uh, some, if not many, uh, if not even most, but is it possible? Is there a combination of therapies? Is there a way to to uh, personalize that well enough to prevent every exacerbation? So 100%, we're not going to be able to prevent, but we can prevent a significant number of these events. Uh, we have now, uh, the, everything comes down to the patient's history. The individual who had prior exacerbations that individual is at risk to have future events. So in those individuals, we have 
Clinical studies have demonstrated using this fixed combination of triple antibiotics, tulonactin bronchodilators within health corticosteroids, will significantly decrease these uh, future uh, events. And individuals who had one exacerbation, uh, probably lung function is still preserved. Long-acting bronchodilators without inhaled corticosteroids can also have a significant decrease. So in COPD, what we're doing is we have like an add-on therapy, but uh, in individuals who already had those events, it's a need to go to this triple therapy, but that's when they're going to have a more significant decrease in the, in the future exacerbations. So if we're not able to prevent every exacerbation, would you say that there is some benefit to uh, perhaps using some of these therapies to reduce the severity of an exacerbation? For example, if somebody would have been, would have had a severe exacerbation and ended up in the hospital, um, we put them on, on a, a therapy that now they still may have an exacerbation, but now maybe it's a more mild one. Uh, is that beneficial or are we talking all or nothing as far as prevention goes? No, I think we're talking about trying to get as many people. So it's going to be pharmacotherapy. It's going to be this time of the year, vaccination, getting their flu shot. Be sure they're up to date to their pneumococcal vaccine. If it's possible to have access to pulmonary rehab, because, you know, pulmonary rehab is not only to go to do some exercise. Pulmonary rehab, we give the patient control of the disease. They're going to know, you know, when the symptoms are not right and they should look for help. They're going to help to deal with the daily life uh, when they talk with peers that are, are dealing with the same condition. So I think the combination of all these factors will significantly reduce the events. And if your patient continues to have, despite all this, then you have to go back and assess, well, you know, what else is going on? So what we're seeing now is patients who have been hospitalized, it's not because their COPD is worse. These patients that are hospitalized is because their heart failure is worse, because they have other comorbid conditions that have been exacerbated. And in my practice, I see many patients who are uh, hospitalized with quote-unquote COPD exacerbation. And my team knows you need to show me spirometry to know that that patient has COPD. And when we go either look for a spirometry, a lot of those patients don't even have a spirometry. We don't know they have COPD and they've been treated as such as. But we also very often find that the individual did have a spirometry. And guess what? The spirometry was normal. The spirometry was restricted. That individual never had COPD. And the reason was having shortness of breath is because their heart failure, their other comorbid conditions that they look like, but they are not uh, uh, chronic lung disease. So I think that's very crucial to go back to the basis and to make a diagnosis. Don't assume because the individual smoked. Don't assume because the individual was hospitalized because short of breath that is COPD. You have to confirm the diagnosis to give the appropriate therapy as well as appropriate preventions. So it sounds like what you're saying is we can even prevent some exacerbations just by making sure we have we tag the person with the right diagnosis, like, like you said, going back to basics. Yeah, that is very, very important, you know, that we make a diagnosis. I know the diagnosis of COPD can be a little cumbersome. People say, ah, oh, we have to do a spirometry. Uh, we can find all the reasons why not to do a spirometry. But I think the bottom line is none of us will treat a patient for hyperglycemia or give them medication for high blood pressure without knowing that the individual has that condition. And it really, you know, kills me. 
to see that we just gave them, ah, let's give it an inhaler. Oh, let's do this. Even you don't care if they have COPD or not. And that is wrong because, you know, that harms people. That hurts people. You know, these medications are work fine in people who need it. But if you don't need it, if you don't have high blood sugar, and if they give you medication for high blood sugar, you're going to run into trouble. Uh, and that's the same that happened with our patients. So that's what is crucial to make a diagnosis, to give appropriate therapy. All right. So that brings up an interesting question, given the, the state of our healthcare system right now. As we record this, we are still, of course, in the midst of uh, the SARS-CoV-2 uh, pandemic. Um, earlier this summer, the American Thoracic Society issued some uh, guidance about when organizations can resume pulmonary function testing, including spirometry. Uh, there are a lot of places in the country right now that aren't really meeting those criteria, including where I'm at here in Michigan. So in considering that, are there ways to get a, get a test that is quote unquote good enough so that we can begin managing and be, begin preventing exacerbations uh, for folks uh, who likely uh, quote unquote have COPD? Ah, yes, Mike. And actually, you bring a very good point. We're in the middle of the pandemic. So that really has made a challenge how to do a spirometry. In our institution, we have began to start doing it, but we need a negative COVID test on each patient. And I can tell you, I had to have a COVID test for a dental procedure. That stuff is horrible. So now I understand my <laughs> patients when they say, I don't want to have that done. I mean, it is really, really bad. Sure. So uh, I really need to, uh, what I'm going to gain to have that information. So the current circumstances, I think that we can err on the side to assume they may have the condition. If they happen to smoke, even they have stopped smoking, if the x-ray looks at least hyperinflated, if they have the symptoms suggested as COPD, yes, we should start. Uh, you know, treatment with bronchodilators. And remember, long-acting bronchodilators are the ones who can impact uh, lung function as well as quality of life and prevent exacerbations. And in the COVID time, the big challenge that we have for our patients is to they have to continue their maintenance therapy because the patient with COPD, they continue taking the medications and continue to all the precautions you know, all the statistics are reporting a very low incidence as a comorbid condition, as a cause of COVID. So a lot of the patients who had it was before all this started that being recognized. But once we know what we're dealing with, uh, a lot of the uh, patients with chronic lung disease, they really have uh, taken all the necessary precautions to protect themselves. And I have none of my COPD patients have been infected. And when I talk to them in telemedicine, when I see them on the video, they say, I'm staying home. I'm not going anywhere. I'm wearing my mask. I'm protecting myself all that I can to do that. So that's probably has been one of the reasons that is statistics are not showing that COPD has a high numbers and a, and a poor outcomes. And GOLD and all the other scientific organizations, what they do is they encourage our patients to continue taking their maintenance medications during the pandemic. That's the best protection that they have to do. And now that it's time to get the flu uh, shot, go ahead and get your flu, your flu shot for prevention of the COVID influenza. Uh, it's very true. So we've talked a lot about why it's important to try to prevent COPD exacerbations, things that we can consider to, uh, to do 
to prevent as many exacerbations as we can. Um, but as you mentioned, some of them are going to be inevitable. So as we get into, especially into the, in light of, of uh, COVID and everything else, how do we get people to recognize those ex- exacerbations relatively early? And while they may not necessarily have one of those rapid response packs, how do we get people to seek care appropriately when the time comes? How do we teach them to recognize when that's about to happen? I believe that in these days uh, with the COVID and potentially overlap of influenza in the next uh, uh, couple of months, uh, any change in their condition, they should prompt them to go and and get in contact with the healthcare provider. They should uh, be overreacting than underestimated that could happen. Because one of the lessons we're learning from COVID, for example, is that the symptoms that are in the book don't apply to everybody. As a matter of fact, (laughs) 80% of the people don't have the symptoms that I described in the book, don't have fever. They come with every other presentations that even that the ones are not not in the book. So I think it's crucial and it's very important for us to to emphasize to our COPD patients, listen, you know that uh, any change in symptoms, give me a call, call our office, uh, talk to our staff, and we're going to try to make the the best decision what needs to be done. Because we should probably uh, aim more than ever to have an early intervention and don't wait until the process has progressed or is much worse and you end it in the emergency room or in the hospital. All right. All excellent points. Uh, Would you say that there's anything else that we need to be discussing uh, in terms of whether we can uh, assist people living with COPD, recognize their symptoms or take control of their symptoms a little bit more, or clinicians, be they uh, pulmonologists or primary care providers, uh, work together to try to minimize these events? You know, today, if you have a patient who get an acute heart attack and you go and look at the chart, and have high cholesterol, diabetes, high blood pressure, all of those conditions, and they were not appropriately treated, you can say, oh, we probably failed. The system failed to that person. That event should not have occurred. I propose to you that we are there for COPD. We have pharmacotherapy. We have interventions that do prevent those events that we call exacerbation. And we should not minimize, oh, Mr. Johnson, is winter. He will come every other month coughing with more flame, shortness of breath, and wheezing more and using more than inhalers. Uh, because it's going to be one day that Mr. Johnson is not going to come back to your office. And it's not because he found another doctor. It's probably he could even die of this condition. Having more exacerbation is associated with increased mortality. So we need to look at exacerbation in a different way. We need to see them, these are eventable events that are bad for the patient and are preventable. So what can I do to, if you already have one, not to have a next one? I need to go and review your pharmacotherapy. Lone-acting bronchodilators do prevent exacerbations. Lone-acting bronchodilators with inhaled corticosteroids do prevent exacerbations. So that has to be part of the pharmacotherapy. I check their vaccination, their influenza, the pneumococcal vaccine. Look at all the possibilities. Maybe the person is weak because he was in the hospital for heart failure, for other conditions, or pneumonia. Uh, I will have him go to a rehab program. So try to maximize all the tools that you have because the goal should be to have zero events 
the goal should be for Mr. Johnson not to have to come out the winter several times because the worsen of the symptoms. You'd see them two, three times a year, and he's doing wonderful or she's doing very well. And the winter went by without having any of these events. So given all of that, maybe we as clinicians should be, would it be fair to say that we as clinicians should be looking at these events less as symptom exacerbations and more as, for example, lung attacks? I'm with you. I agree with you 100%. Uh, I think the term lung attacks is the reflection of the magnitude what is happening over there. And we should not underestimate those events. This should be a red flag that we must intervene uh, to prevent uh, the progression of the disease and to impact in the natural history of the patient's condition. So we we talked at length about uh, pharmacology and pulmonary rehab and all these things. We didn't really talk. We haven't really talked a lot about the idea of self-efficacy and self-management of, of COPD. Are there strategies that clinicians can use, or uh, methods that clinicians can use, uh, that you have found that work really well for increasing self-efficacy, uh, whether it's if specifically for exacerbation prevention or for just uh, uh, symptom maintenance in general? You might self-management or control of the disease is something that is kind of gaining more more momentum today. Um, uh, on one hand is for patient education, be more aware about the condition. But we're going to see this new generation of inhalers that they do have uh, give feedback to the patient through an app to tell them if they did a good effort, a reminder to take their medications, and then tell them you are taking too many puffs of albuterol during the day. It's probably something happening today. I think we're getting right at the gate. We're beginning to enter this new era where it's going to, the management of COPD is going to be driven by information coming from the device that the patient uses and provide the patient a real-time feedback. Uh, did you do a good effort? The medication you took uh, really rich your lungs or you t- taking uh, too many of those inhalers? So between having the patient better control of the disease and more understanding uh, of what's going on and what needs to be done for education, I think this is going to be a huge step forward uh, in the management of this condition. So it sounds like much as in many other avenues of healthcare, telehealth is going to be of tremendous benefit uh, in managing, uh, managing symptoms and perhaps even diagnosing or assessing exacerbations. Yeah, telehealth is going to have a very important role. And after the pandemic, we are seeing the usefulness of telehealth. Uh, you know, patient calls the office, I don't feel good. Uh, you know, it's, it's probably hard to set up an appointment. We're sending them in telehealth. We're calling them. We are putting in a video and watching them uh, and talking to them what's going on. So telehealth is providing like a more rapid approach to address these issues. That in the combination of self-management through the information derived from the inhalers and then these new smart devices that is going to be hitting the market in the next uh, couple of years, I think both of those factors are going to significant impact exacerbations and recognize these events much early in the course of the disease. 
All right. Fantastic words of wisdom from one of the top experts in the field right now. Dr. Antonio Anzueto joining us talking about uh, COPD exacerbations. Thank you very much, Dr. Anzueto. We really appreciate you spending the time with us today. Well, thank you very much. I really appreciate and uh, looking forward to talk to you all. All right. Thanks to everybody listening out there today. Again, my name is Mike Hess. This has been the Gold Podcast. Thank you very much. Please visit the Gold website at goldcopd.org for our up-to-date, evidence-based reports, as well as other useful guides, documents, and resources. If you are a healthcare professional interested in gold resources for your hospital or healthcare system, or if you have ideas for new resources, please email us at our website at goldcopd.org. Thank you for listening and for sharing in our mission to reduce the global burden of COPD.